Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. Jordan Bonomo. Hello, thank you for joining us for this podcast of the National Stroke Education Center. I'm Jordan Bonomo, an emergency medicine physician and neurointensivist at the University of Cincinnati. And it is my pleasure to be joined once again for a second podcast by my friend, Dr. Achala Vagal, who is a professor of radiology and a neuroradiologist and my partner on the UC Stroke Team. Thank you so much for being with us. It is an absolute honor and pleasure to be back here, Jordan. Today, we're going to get to talk about AI and AI and stroke imaging in particular. Are we really ready for this? I think she is uniquely positioned amongst those whom I know to share in this conversation. And I'm going to throw you a curveball right off the bat. You ready? Go for it. So last night, I'm working in the emergency department, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just doing God's work. And a guy gets transferred to me from our mobile stroke unit. So our mobile stroke unit, this for those who are listening, it's a, an ambulance that is MICU capable, has a CT scanner in it. And they were called to take care of this gentleman um, who was found uh, acutely altered. Um, the concern was for a stroke. So they do a non-con CT. CT's clean with the exception of some old infarcts on him. Um, and they decide not to do the CT angiogram in the, in the rig. They're going to bring him to me instead. So they give TPA in the field because there are no evident contraindications that they found out at that point. And they bring him to us. And then we put him through the CT scanner for his CTA. It goes through the Viz software. Viz says there's nothing wrong. doesn't pick up on anything. I'm looking at his imaging with a second-year emergency medicine resident. It's the first time he's ever looked at the CT angiogram. And I teach him how to do it. And we put it on the ortho bone windows because that's actually easier to see the vessels for some reason. And we start scrolling up and he says, oh, man, this right vert's gone. Oh, whoa, where, where the right and left vert come together, the, the basilar is occluded. But there's f- contrast in the basilar. Oh, no, at the top of the basilar, there's a clot. So like, I think this guy's got two basilar occlusions. I said, I think you're right. And Viz says nothing. So last night, within the last 24 hours, AI has failed me as a doctor. What do we do? Yeah, so fortunately, this is not the commonest scenario, but this is very much a scenario that we have all experienced. And my big picture take on it is AI, um, although we call it artificial intelligence, the correct name is augmented intelligence, which means it has to be augmented by the human user, the human expert. In this case, it was the two of you, and I would add another person, obviously the radiologist, who should be a partner in all this as you're looking at these acute stroke patients. So in this case... Again, why did AI go wrong? Think about how this AI particular model for use of a large vessel occlusion has been trained, right? It has been trained for anterior circulations, ICAs, M1s. So sometimes when it does not pick up the basilar, it's because the AI algorithm has been not trained. It can only do what it has been trained for doing. And that's the important thing is have a tool know its limitations, know its pitfalls, but then always, always check it on your own. I think that makes sense. And to to the end users, those of us who are trying to make clinical decisions in real time, recognizing that there's higher fidelity with this decision making with the AI, looking at anterior circulation instead of posterior circulation, 
it allows us to have a, a just a, a different level of suspicion, um, and we can be a little bit more focused when we're thinking clinically, at least, that it's a posterior circulation event. So I know when I call you and I say, hey, I've got a guy who I think has a posterior circulation stroke clinically, it actually helps you target your vision sometimes, right? Um, and then occasionally you'll say, no, it's still a left MCA. Maybe you should go back to neurology school. And, I, and that, that's always a fair comment on my part. But we, we have these times where we talk to you and we can partner in, hey, I think this is really a left MCA syndrome, but I don't see an occlusion of the left MCA. And you're like, yeah, it's a left M3 and it's here and I can't see those. You can. But this was one of those where um, I was really surprised because it was so obvious to me in the posterior circulation that these were there. And someone looking at their first CT angio, he literally said to me, this is the first CT I've ever looked at. Are they all this easy? And I was like, no. No, no it's not, not easy. Yes. And I think you've heard me say this many times. There are 3,000 plus images in a CTA. And it's really hard to make this decision quickly in seconds, which we have to in the acute setting. One other scenario that is a huge of importance to me and the radiology community is ideally the radiologist should be part of the Viz AI conversation, right? So as I am in the reading room, you know, I should be looking at my phone, not on the packs and say, hey, it did not pick up, but the stroke team is looking at it. So I need to pick up the phone and tell them. And that's the piece again, which is missing. It's that systems who all is looking at it because you do want the expert to look at it. But at the same time, we know the pitfalls, right? I mean, the big ones that I always tell our residents is um, basilar, vertebrals, um, but M2s. AI, LVO tools tend to miss M2s. And this has been shown in multiple papers too. Why? What is it specifically about the M2? I mean, we, we've got the models. We're trying to train it. What, what is it about the M2s? Because again, it's the, I think the, the AI is now again being retrained with more M2 cases, but it's the anatomic variation. It's that curve that has not been trained, right? Or for that matter, if you have a complex anatomy or a variation, even in your M1 and ICA, which usually doesn't happen, it's the you know, that's where the AI can get fooled. The other big one, as you think about it, is uh, chronic occlusions. It might pick up something and it's like, oh, it flags it. And really it is not, you know. Uh, the other one is, I'm trying to think with cases that we have seen, is a calcified embolus or a really hyperdense vessel, which it picks up as a density, but it's really not the vessel contrast. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it doesn't doesn't read the occlusion even though it's present because it's misreading. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, that's interesting. I I feel like every time I I'm using these software platforms to try to augment, which I really appreciate, augmented intelligence to augment uh, what I'm doing. It adds a level of comfort to me as a clinician because I'm thinking, well, you know, there's a there's a chance that it'll pick it up for me. I look pretty hard. But I got to be honest, I mean, I've missed a ton of M2s in my career. It's, they're hard. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I can't expect the machine to be that much better. So they're pretty good with acute ischemic strokes in the anterior M1 level. We're training on M2s. Maybe we'll get there on the posterior at some point. How's the ICH AI coming? Is it going to work? I, th I think detection, yes. You know, again, uh, if you look at the papers and the literature around it, anywhere from 80 to 90% is where they, you know, will range around for the sensitivity specificity. But again, a tool is as useful as once you understand, you know, what the limitations are. For the ICH, the big ones is going to be next to the skull base or any bone? And is it partial volume averaging or is it real? Or is it a tiny something in the ventricle or is it a tiny something in the intrapedicular cistern that is not picked up? Those are the ones. So if it's very tiny, if it's next to the bone, I think we have to, again, be very careful. But I think in most cases, I would say 80 to 90%, it's going to do its job. No, that's really good. 
But I mean, I remember many times looking at these small lesions next to the bone and you have two neurosurgeons and three opinions about what it is. And then we always ask the radiologist, like, well, what is it? And they're like, eh, it's probably there. You know, yeah. let's get a repeat scan in six hours and exactly, find out. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then we have other tools in our, some, some of the AIs have, you can go into the thinner sections, you can make coronal sagittal reconstructions, right? You can actually manipulate some of those images to give you a better understanding and a look at it. So that helps. My impression over the last 20 years has been that we are seeing light speed evolution in technology. Every time I turn around, there's something new that I'm trying to learn because someone's told me it's the new standard of care. That's where we're going with this, aren't we? It, it's light speed. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It is AI has changed the way we image stroke, we detect strokes, and we are treating because it, there's a huge time factor. And I think it's going to get even more and more. There's going to be more mainstream um, acceptance of this. And as we were discussing just before this, it's going to come in other areas. It's already there for aortic dissection, for PEs, for vertebral fractures, right? So AI in radiology and imaging is going to is absolutely going to be the next place where the field is heading. And radiologists and radiology as a field is actually very much on the forefront of this. Our, most of our conferences is like the AI theaters and everything in our oh, big really? conferences. Oh, yeah. It's the showcase every single time for the past six to eight years now. Well, the good news is you're still better than the machine, so I don't need to worry about your job security, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, I always think there's, you no know, machines can go wrong. The only people who don't go wrong are the radiologists. That's, that's what I was taught. <laughs> I, I think that sounds probably right. Well, Dr. Vergal, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Um, this has been a podcast recording of the National Stroke Education Center. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center M. Craig International, and MedEd on the go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com. <laughs>